0: Okay, this week, uh, we're going to start into chapter 11. And I intend to go. We'll see how well my intentions work out. It might be an excellent contrast of God's sovereignty to man's planning. We'll see how that works out. But I intend to go down through uh, chapter 12, verse 13. We'll just see how we do. Last week, Uh, We covered the 8th and ninth plagues in chapter 10. And uh, that was the plague of the locusts. And God states as He's introducing this plague that one or the main reason for it is to show Israel He is the Lord God. And so we, we should never fail to recognize that part of what God is establishing as He's doing these plagues is that he is showing his sovereignty over the entire world and showing his greatness to the people who are the descendants of Abraham as well. And Moses announces, if you don't let my people go, it's going to happen tomorrow. The locusts, which are really more like grasshoppers, or I say like, are grasshoppers in our way of thinking. Um, maybe a little different variety, but the same thing, that they're going to cover the land, it'll be in the houses, and it's going to eat everything that was left over from the hail outside. And so Moses left with Aaron, and Pharaoh's advisors say, hey, how long are we going to let this guy be a trap for us? And, uh, you know, let the Israelite men go. Egypt is destroyed. Can't you see? So Pharaoh's servants slash advisors are beginning to turn on him a bit as he is interacting with Moses and Aaron. So Moses and Aaron are called back, and Pharaoh says, If you go out to worship, who's going? And Moses says, everyone, including our animals. And Pharaoh says, no way. The children will never be allowed to go. So he's trying to keep a hold on Israel. And he accuses them. He says, you're intending evil toward me. Uh, And I don't know what his definition of evil was, but it certainly included the Israelites getting out from under his control. And so you can take the men and go if that's what you want. And then Pharaoh drove Moses and Aaron out. From his presence, so God brought an east wind. The locusts were everywhere, uh, worst in all history. You couldn't see the ground. Total consumption of the plants and what had come up since the time of the hail. And Moses and Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron back, says, "Forgive me, remove this death." And so Moses goes out, and God sends a west wind, and drives all the locusts slash grasshoppers into the Red Sea until there's not one left overnight. Can you imagine that? that? That would just be a miracle by itself. But the Lord, of course, is still hardening Pharaoh's heart, and so they're not letting the Israelites go, and without any warning, Plague 9 comes upon all Egypt, which is a darkness, and it's clearly Egypt and not anywhere else, and So in Goshen, the Israelites have normal life as far as light is concerned. But in Egypt, they have a darkness that could be felt. It was extreme. They couldn't see one another at all. Life stopped. And Pharaoh calls to Moses, All right, go, serve God, only leave the flocks. And Moses says, No, we need the flocks. That's a part of our service to God is sacrifice as well as feasting. And we, we just need to take them with us, and um, not one hoof will be left behind. I like the way he put that. We're, we're not leaving one animal behind. So Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart again, and he would not let them go. And so Pharaoh says, get away from me. The next time I see you, you will die. And Moses said, you're right. I shall never see your face again, at least at least not as the one coming to you requesting to let the people go. Um, I added that last little bit. Moses didn't make that as a part of his speech, but that's the way it works out. And so that brings us to chapter 11 today, and we're going to start, and we're going to read the first three verses. Now, I will confess, this isn't a difficult chapter as far as uh, anything theological or, anything like that but it took me a while to get myself around what's going on here in this conversation because later on in the chapter we're going to see Moses leaving Pharaoh but wait a minute we just talked about not going to see you again and so how does that fit in and putting it all together and there are some parenthetical statements in here when Moses said you're right I'm not going to see you again then we go into what we start with is a parenthetical statement chapter 11 Moses is still, in terms of chronological events, in front of Pharaoh. But we get some, some parenthetical information here. And so let's look at the first three verses. It says, of oh, chapter 11, Now the Lord said to Moses, One more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that each man ask of his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for the articles of silver, for articles of silver and articles of gold. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So... When was this information given? When did Moses talk to the people? Um, As you start reading people who try to put these things together that think they've got it figured out, um, the most consistent thing would be that this probably happened during the time of darkness, maybe even at the beginning of the time of darkness. And when we get further down the chapter, we'll see why that's a likely result. But so in the background God has been working with Moses and with the people uh... and so he's told Moses another plague is coming and he's told him to talk to the people about this plague will result in letting you go matter of fact he's not going to just let you go he's going to drive you out and so he's told the people that they will be asking of their neighbors for articles of silver or gold um, and So, here here are the Egyptians, or the Israelites going to be asking that of the Egyptians. So the Israelite people will be doing that. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. What do you think that means? The Lord gave them favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Now, normally, if I'm out in life and I have a business acquaintance or something that I'm doing with and God gave me favor in his sight, you'd probably think, I'd think, that probably meant, oh, we formed a friendship, likable, neighborly, you know, seen well. And that's probably not exactly what we're talking about here. Um... And so, um, when we look at this in the context of all the events and what's going on, this means that I would say a good word might be respect. And I don't mean respect because of their persons. I mean respect because of who's on their side, meaning God himself. The people have come to recognize it's been in in the speech of Moses to Pharaoh that these people, that that God that's bringing all these plagues is the God of the Israelites. And so there is great power being exercised by God in Egypt in favor of the Israelite people. Now, I don't want to discard and throw away the possibility or even probability that as their plight becomes known, there may be many Egyptians that it may not be, but may have felt like, you know, they've got a case here. They they have been abused. They've been working hard. They've not been treated well. For a time we were killing their baby boys. You know, I, I don't know what else might have been going on. But clearly, you had the same thing going on with Moses because it said he too found favor in and was esteemed in the sight of the people. And And I don't think I think the way I'm saying the words is a little bit intentional to to try to differentiate what that would mean from friendship. But there are probably many people who have grown in respect for the Israelites and for Moses because he clearly is being used by, is being the conduit by which the very power of the one true living God is being displayed. At some point, these people have got to be looking at things and saying, this God is all-powerful. And these people are the friends of this all-powerful God. And they're seeing that about Moses. When Moses comes and talks, you better listen. Go back to the servants in chapter 10. When are we going to get rid of this trap? These Israelite people being here, Moses doing what he's doing, and God asking for what he's asking for, let the people go, is, Egypt is dead. It's dying because of what this one true living God is doing. But these people are being built up. We have grasshoppers, they don't. We have frogs, they don't. We have no light, they do. I mean, you can just keep going and say at some point these folks are beginning to see that these Israelites are favored. By the time it comes for them to be asked to go, though they are willing to have these people go at any price. And that price has already been paid in a big way when we get to the Passover. They paid a big price for not already having the Israelites go. The death of the firstborn and there's so much more tied up with that and I'm not going to try to get into it right here but they're also willing then to part with gold and silver and they recognize Moses is leading them out based on the power of God so the esteem or the recognition of who Moses represents and who the God of this people is is favoring is causing them to have a favor for these people a recognition that they are special and Moses being greatly esteemed uh, mighty is a word that, that could have been translated they see Moses as a mighty man and obviously through him God's power has been displayed questions, comments Okay. well let's go ahead then and look at verses 4 through 10 So Moses, going back now into the, you know, like back at the ranch kind of a thing, back into Pharaoh's courts, Moses says to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I am going out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstone all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt. Such has not been before, and such as shall never be again. But against any of the sons of Israel a dog will not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All those of your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, Go out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went away from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh. Yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. And so we we got several kinds of conversations going here. But in verse 4, Moses says in front of Pharaoh, it's the pattern Moses has been in. Moses isn't saying, I say to you. He says, thus says the Lord, which are key words to say, God Himself is saying this, and it is right and correct. And He says about midnight, I'm going out among the Egyptians. Um, When you look at what different people say, they're quick to point out He doesn't say what day about midnight. In context for us reading in English, and I'm not saying this isn't a correct context, if it's yet that same night, that's the way we would kind of expect that to read. Um, we'll see why there's some timing questions when we get further down into the instructions given to the Jews, to the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So he says, I'm going to go out among the Egyptians, and when I go out, so this is God himself saying, I'm headed out. This is an act of God that's going to be done through his own hand. And he says... The firstborn of Egypt will die. From the Pharaoh on the throne, which is the greatest position in Israel, to the least position, the slave girl by the millstone. Everyone's going to experience the death of the firstborn. Oh, and by the way, it says, and the cattle too, That word could have been translated beast or animal. Uh, When we go back, remember back in creation, we talked about cattle versus beasts. The cattle were the ones that were in the domesticated category, but it wasn't just like we think of cattle or bovine today. It was a very broad word, could be that broad here. Livestock might have been a good way to say it. And so you're not just going to have a devastation in your own families, which is what's going to be your real biggest, most significant focus, but even in your livestock, you're going to be devastated as all of the firstborn shall die. And there's probably a better place to go into more detail with this, but that's, that's a big deal. Um, we don't carry the same kind of position in our thoughts about our firstborn descendants in our culture that they did. The firstborn was the presumed head of the family. The firstborn got, at the time of inheritance, both power and wealth. Now if you were a poor family, the, po- the degree of power and wealth may have been somewhat diminished Um, In terms of influence in the world but within the family you got the power and the wealth. You got a double portion of inheritance. uh, If you were in the Israelite world and typical Middle Eastern world this was fairly common. And you also got position. Well in Egypt that position was really big and in the life of Pharaoh. That position was this is the prince. This is the presumed next king. Now on occasion the families of pharaohs would bypass somebody for cause or for favoritism or whatever but in the main you're doing this and you've got to keep in mind that pharaoh's not just the ruler in the eyes of the people in their religious world he's the representative of the many gods and so this is the number two representative of many gods Uh, he is you would anticipate based on their beliefs that they would be expecting that person who was the son of Pharaoh, firstborn, to be highly protected and expect him to have great position religiously in the nation. And God is going to take all of them out, all of the firstborn. Questions, comments so far? It talked a lot about the kids Mike, but what about the adults? Well, if you were a firstborn, right, right. age is not um, a part of it. You might be a firstborn who's also a father. You're still a firstborn. So um, I think where, where, where you start seeing it stop is if you're the head of the household, you have a firstborn in your household. So if if I'm the senior generation, I still have a living father. So I would be a firstborn, I think. I really believe that's what it's trying to say. Uh, The head of the household is not going to die, but all the firstborn of the generations is going to go. My father was a firstborn, but I don't think he would have been included in this because he's now the head of the household. So it's going to be a a lineage-devastating um, death here do the scriptures make that absolutely unequivocally clear it seems unequivocally clear to me but I suppose we could start a discussion about that but I, I really believe it's in every generation that still has a parental uh, someone over them generationally I think it's going to clean things out Well, will tag you on that that firstborn that's what the title firstborn, I mean, it was a very much a, uh, a, a, a male-centered uh, inheritance. And so I, I think contextually, I think contextually broad scriptural contextually, broad um, cultural context, context, I think it would be firstborn males. Mm-hmm. Certainly God is looking at a broad perspective of what the how the Israelites have been mistreated and that would certainly be, I think, a very significant part of it. I don't think it would be exclusively that. I think I think there's a whole host of things about the way <laughs> the Egyptians mistreated the Israelites that would be a part of this. And and we not we don't wanna we don't wanna skip this part. We tend to get in a justice kind of a mode about this event deserves this kind of punishment. But there's another piece of this, and God states it clearly. I'm doing this so you will see I am God. And so the, the, the stated purpose that God gives here is to show I'm it. And before we're done, he'll talk about being against all the gods of Egypt. So he's, he's being very direct in coming against all the, de- the supposed deities that the Egyptians are worshipping. So is this speech being given to all of the people, including the Egyptians? This speech, I think, is given primarily to Pharaoh and whoever would have been in his court at the time. I, I, I think this comes right behind the last verse of chapter 10, and they're still there. That's that's what I had trouble. How do I sort this out? And of all the different ways of trying to sort this out, I think that makes by far the most sense. That we get some information about things that the Lord has told Moses, as kind of a parenthetical kind of piece of information between 10:29 and uh, verse four of chapter 11. I think I think in verse four, chapter 11, we go back into. Moses and his interaction with Pharaoh. So the people would have heard the Egyptian people would have heard this um, that they were going to have to give their silver and gold. No, you know no. I think I think so. That, thank you for asking. I don't think I have made this clear. I think one through three was something that God communicated to Moses and had given him to do prior to the meeting with Pharaoh. And so that information is given to us that this has already occurred. Um, and and the, the reason that I think it's that way is when we get down into um, the instructions for Israel beginning in chapter 12, there are multiple days of things that the that the Israelites had to do to get ready for the Passover that by God's decree would have taken four days. And so they have to pick out the lamb or the goat for the families on the 10th of the month. And then on the fourth of the month, 14th of the month is when they're going to do the sacrifice. So we've got this four-day period in here that's got to be in somewhere. And many of the folks, MacArthur's one of them. If you've got a MacArthur study Bible, you can go down there and glance at what he says about it. But many of the people think that he, Moses probably received the direction and gave the communication to the Israelites about you're going to be you're going to be set free and you're going to have these things happen. And then even the things in chapter 12, many people uh, would would say most likely this these instructions were given at the beginning of the Israel of the darkness over Egypt. It, 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 it does make sense. You could make sense out of it the other way. Meaning by the other way, you could make sense out of it that there's a four-day delay or more. How, I don't know what date Moses is in front of Pharaoh. And so he could have come out of that and then told the people, okay, th- this is the month, and on the tenth day, go select it. Maybe He may have been talking to them on the eighth. After the, you know, if this meeting with Pharaoh was on the 8th, on the 9th, he might have gone and said done this, on the 10th, do this. Four days later, we're going to make the sacrifice, and this is the manner in which you are to eat it. You can make sense out of that, but it looks like an awfully long delay to have. And there's something going on here that you have to get, figure out in that Moses is still in front of Pharaoh. You know, if you finish up with chapter 10, you could think, well, Moses laughed when he said, you're right, I'll never see you again. But then in chapter 11, we see him in hot anger leaving Pharaoh. So clearly he was still in Pharaoh's court at that point. The question is, was 1 through 3 something that he said in front of Pharaoh? It doesn't fit very well if the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to bring this other plague. Go talk in front of the people to do these things. Meaning, ask the people for... for, uh, The gifts and so on because they're not going to do that. That action is not going to occur until at the end of the Passover and there's at least four days of activity that have to be a part of the Passover for the people of Israel to get ready for it. So that's why it just seems to me in just a common sense kind of approach that verses 1 through 3 were probably accomplished prior to Moses visit with Pharaoh after the end of the after the end of the darkness Moses visited with Pharaoh. I think sometime prior to that, God had given him, him this information and told him talk in front of the people about getting the gold and the silver. So when you said it's only the male firstborn, so when he gives the example of Pharaoh to the slave girl, that was just an example of greatest to least. That's right. The slave girl in front of the millstone would have been at the very bottom of their culture and society and importance. Okay. He also didn't say that the slave girl would die, but that the slave girl's firstborn No, her firstborn. Her firstborn would die. hmm That's right. It's not the girl herself. Mm-hmm. It's her firstborn would die. Thank you. Now, do we know that Pharaoh was not the firstborn of his... We don't, but in all... It probably was. Actually... Now, we could start on something that would take a lot of time to get there because who was the Pharaoh of the Exodus is a question that has been, um, in in my strong opinion, my confidence has been misidentified in modern times. Um, They will go to Ramses II. I don't think there's a chance in the world it was Ramses II. And right at this moment, the name of the guy, who's pretty obscure, is out of my head. I, I will be bringing to you a video that, um, if you took notes, I think you'd still probably have trouble keeping all the details in your head, because I can't, and I've seen it three or four times. But um, uh, once we identify that furrow, we very well might be able to go back and ask that question and get an answer, but I don't have that answer standing in front of you right now. Uh, I'm i am really, I don't want to make an advertisement for the future too strong right now, but I'm really looking forward to bringing that information to you because not only contained in identifying the right pharaoh for the right reasons that go with the exodus, it lets you identify some other people in specific historical, historical important things in the timing of the, not only the exodus but the conquest, and I'm just so excited about it, I really want to bring it to you. And we're going to do that uh, right as we complete the Passover. We're not going to complete that today. You don't know that we'll complete it next week. But then I'm going to bring you a, a video that I think does an outstanding job of making the right connections. And so we'll, we'll be getting there. Yes, ma'am? Can you say that he's not the firstborn because he didn't die? No. It's my opinion. Just my opinion. I don't have anything I can go to and state it. See here look at this verse and say it's a fact, but I really think the current heads of households were not in jeopardy. Uh, Going back to my example, I'm a firstborn. I've got a son that's a firstborn. So in my family, I think I would die. I think my my son would die, but my father who is also a firstborn, but he's the current head of the family. It doesn't appear that the heads of families were affected by this. They were left to cry and grieve. They were left to be devastated by all this. That's what I, that's, that's my best understanding of it. Could I be wrong? I want to say absolutely I could be wrong in the sense I can't bring you chapter and verse to prove it. But, and, and it goes back to Bill's question then, was the pharaoh of the Exodus a firstborn if we were to look at the lineage, and uh, I don't know the answer to that. So if he was, I mean, maybe he wasn't. Maybe that's why he's still here. But most pharaohs, most most pharaohs were firstborns until dynasties changed, and then you have a war, and you know, now now we have a new pharaoh hierarchy to go down through, and maybe maybe there's some of that involved here. I don't know the answer to that right now. Any other questions? Those are good questions. Those are things that you know we have to do our best at trying to say what makes sense here? Uh, what fits in with the scriptures as we look at it? Okay? Well, well let's continue on then. In verse 6, God, God is He makes multiple statements throughout these plagues. Um, frogs. Never before have they been that big, never since that big. There's, we would call them superlative type statements. We, We would say hyperbole, but when you say hyperbole, what you usually mean by that is the style of speech, not the actual action behind it. Because you can say somebody is the greatest fits today. Quarterback of all time, well, we don't know that. We don't know who's coming next. And very few of us have lived long enough to have a clear ability to evaluate previous quarterbacks to make that kind of a statement. So, that's a hyperbole. That's my opinion. When God says these things, He's not talking about hyperbole kind of speech. He's talking about factual, this is the way it was. And so the frogs and all those, He said, "You never, never before this great, never again will it be this great. And He says this about in verse 6, The great cry, all the nation of Egypt is going to be crying out. They're going to be in anguish. They're going to be upset. One of the things that is unique in this plague is, every other plague, either by nature, and that's not how it happened because God did it, but even if you had all these frogs and God just walked away, Wouldn't do that, doesn't work that way, I'm not trying to suggest that, but over time things might change and you might see the frog population diminish and you might find relief. Um, But in this case as we experience in our own families when we have to grieve over a departure, now we don't have to grieve in the same way if we've got hope, but there's still in this life that person that passes away, I'm never going to get to have another conversation. I'm not going to be able to go fishing with the the things of life that brought joy are done. Now it's only in the category of memories in terms of actual interaction. And that's what these folks are going to experience. This is the plague. There's no going back from here unless, and the Egyptians wouldn't know this, but who has the power to resurrect the dead? God Himself, but He's not going to. I mean, it's not even a possibility in what's going on here. This is God's sovereign plan to show His greatness, is that these folks are going to die. Their lives are going to be over. As a part of the display of who He is, and He says the anguish will be, in terms of the cry that comes out from that, will be greater than any time prior in Egypt. And any time to come in the future, this is going to be the heartbreak of heartbreaks for the Egyptians. As a matter of fact, um, if we get the timing right, the Egyptians have some great problems coming. They're going to be greatly oppressed in a future series of kings that are coming from the outside, and there will be a lot more Egyptian death by a sword as cruelty from those reigning kings but this is God's one day can you imagine this on one day the death and now you've got another problem because as we know from wars and other pestilence you can't just take six months to go bury the dead Everybody, every family has death to deal with, and you've got a problem for the health of the nation to not just let those corpses rot. You've got to do a pretty immediate full burial of all these people. The ways that you would like to do it, you're not going to get to do it, and you're even going to see some evidence of that in this video I'm going to bring you. I mean, they had typical mass grave environment. And a piece of that, which might speak a little differently than I see it, but there were a lot of teenage and younger corpses all buried in that mass grave. They found that in archaeology. And so God goes on in verse 7 because He's not just going to show His might in bringing death. He's going to show His might in not bringing death. And He says, He gives the purpose in verse 7, so you you will understand that the Lord differentiates between Egypt and Israel. This isn't going to happen over there. Um, And so it's not going to be a part of what happens in the land of Goshen. As a matter of fact, in verse 7, turning back to the words here, because I didn't put it in my notes, but I know it's here. Um, Wrong chapter, seven. But against the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark. Um, Those of you that have owned dogs know this is a, not of the magnitude of anything else we're talking about, but this is a pretty good miracle, too. Um, Dogs like to fulfill their functions in life. Some of them see their functions differently than others. But it's a pretty rare dog that doesn't do some barking for 24 hours. But none of the dogs are going to even bark in Israel. And, and we know that he means more than just because, not barking about the death or the wailing, but whether against man or beast. I mean, you, you run a deer through my yard when we had the dog, I missed the dog, but I haven't found one I think would be a good replacement yet. But, I mean, he'd raise ruckuses that you wouldn't believe. And sometimes you get this fascinating opportunity to see something you didn't expect to see. A lot of times it's like, what are you barking at? Now if you're willing to go to the trouble in the middle of the night, you'll usually be able to work with him and you could find out, oh, Oh, there's a possum over behind the woodpile. Okay, all right. Well, thanks, buddy. Uh, go to sleep. Um, which he wouldn't. You, you, anyway, I'm not going to go into what we had to do if we wanted it to be over with. But, I mean, dogs just don't... This is not dogs. Except their Creator has said to them, no, not tonight. This is a quiet night. In verse 8, Moses is still talking to Pharaoh all your servants, all the people of the land, because everybody serves Pharaoh, right? They will come and bow down before me, Moses says. And they're going to say, get out and take all the people who follow you with you. And Moses says, you know what? And that's when I'm going to go. And at that moment, he left Pharaoh in his own hot anger moses is done he is showing his anger as he goes Uh, hot is how the new american standard translates it i think that probably fits for us you could have said fierce or great but moses is upset this pharaoh has continued to put himself up against the one true living god and do so as though he is superior at every step. Oh, he might back off for a little bit when something gets uncomfortable, but before he's done, he's going to come back and be the one working to set the rules. When the one who is sovereign, who has the right to set the standards and the rules, is being um, worked against, being uh, challenged by Pharaoh. And not being recognized. Why would Moses be angry? Think of Pharaoh's duplicity. Time and time and time again. Pharaoh says, hey Moses. You can do this. Well, no, we're taking everybody. Or you can do that. There were times he said, yes, you can go. But then, no you can't. And Pharaoh has continued to be Threatening, the main threat came in the time of their interaction after the darkness. Pharaoh said, if I see you again, I'm going to kill you. It's still in that context that Moses has laid out for him the information God has given him about the Passover. Now, he wouldn't call it the Passover there. He just basically says, all your firstborn are going to die. God's servant was threatened by Pharaoh. If I see you again, I'll kill you. Moses turns right around and says, no, all of your firstborn will be the ones that die, and I won't see you again. And we also have Pharaoh's haughtiness, his disrespect for Moses and Aaron. In the one time he says you can go, but you have to leave your children, and Moses says no. He says basically... It's going to be, there, there is no time at which these kids are going. He says it in a, in a way that is um, disrespectful. Uh, and so all of those things have been building up. And in this particular meeting is when we see the greatest threat. So the Lord says to Moses in verse 9, after he's left in anger, oh, by the way, Pharaoh will remain hard. He will not let you go. And I I want us to go over to um, another example of a hardness of heart. Go over to Mark chapter 3. And I want to read the first five verses. Um, Because this this has not all the drama surrounding it that we see that God has used that drama in Egypt to show who He is. But, but this is a time when hardness of heart was still a problem. Mark 3, um, verses 1 through 5. Can somebody read that for us? Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched out and his hand was restored. Yeah, and and, and don't don't lose that page yet. I'm going to take you to verse 6 before we're done. Here is Jesus... And they, they know this is coming. Jesus has been healing people. And they like the setup. The they I'm talking about are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the ruling Jews, and the people right there that that, that want to see Jesus trapped. They have put themselves in the position of establishing the rules of what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. And in another time, Jesus is going to say, look, if your donkey falls in the ditch, you go get him out, don't you? Well, why can't we do things for people if you can do them for a donkey on the Sabbath? And so Jesus is confronted with this man that uh, um, has uh, a withered hand, and Jesus knows what's going on. He knows the whole thing. Here's the man in his plight with this hand, and he knows these people are watching. He knows their intentions about putting him in a spot where they can accuse him. And so he asked this man to come up. But he asked a question, and he said to them, meaning these ruling kinds of people that are wanting to trap him, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? And how did they answer that? Silence. They didn't have an answer because the answer would have trapped them. Jesus turned the tables. So He said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Now, before that, verse 5, after looking around at them, with anger this is not something that Jesus just said well it's just the way it is and this is the way it's going to go he looked around them and he was angry why because their hearts were hard they were not able to look at this situation and say here's a man that needs a healing and the right thing to do is to heal him if you can No, we'd rather let him suffer and continue into the next day. And their main concern wasn't even about whether the man got healed or not, but was, can we trap Jesus? Now Jesus has, throughout his ministry, was through many traps and did fine and always did well and typically turned the trap around so the hunter became the hunted. And that has happened here. And in verse 6, their hearts are so hard that instead of looking at here is a man with compassion that can heal every illness he comes to. Even though that's the kind of man they have, they don't want him in verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to what? How they might destroy him. If Pharaoh had had the opportunity, would he have destroyed God himself? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Now, we say that through projections. It's not written in the word. But it's obvious where Pharaoh's at. And hardness of heart, we can say, well, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yeah, but Pharaoh also hardened Pharaoh's heart. And that hardness was already in, the attitudes were already in Pharaoh's heart. I'm king of the world, I'm deity. I represent the deities. And so all of these beliefs were there. God just made them hard so he would stick with his beliefs. And that's what, I don't want to say just, but that's a part of what he did. And Pharaoh is in full agreement with that. He hardened his own heart. And so that's to me, was just really revealing when I looked at that passage in Mark about how Jesus saw what was going on. And his anger at it. And so on. Don't forget God's purpose. He's still focused on that. My wonders in chapter 9 will be multiplied in Egypt. Out of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. So, we get to another conversation. Beginning in verse 10. That I believe likely happened back at the beginning of the time of darkness. Because of this timing that I was telling you about uh, Moses and Aaron uh, there in verse 10 um, got to get to the right spot It um, says nope got to go back here uh, it says Moses and Aaron performed all of these wonders before Pharaoh so now we're talking about the thing in a broader context yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the sons go out of his out of his land out of the land of Pharaoh and so that's kind of another summary statement that is a part of what's going on here so all of these things that he's seen and yet Pharaoh won't let you go and now I'm faced with a difficult decision. Do we start into chapter 12 and all the instructions? And I don't quite know how to hit a a stopping point in there. And there's no way we're going to get down through verse 13 before we hit 10 o'clock today. So, uh, I hate to do this, but I'm just going to stop right here because I'm not going to have a, another stopping point there in chapter 12. Any questions or comments or thoughts or things you want to bring up in the few minutes that we have here that <coughs> I didn't take full use of? I got quiet. You know one of the things that I think we ought to pay attention to and be willing to accept uh, at least I want to accept it for me, is that as we're going through this, you guys asked some great questions today. Which firstborn? Every firstborn? If Pharaoh was a firstborn, would he have died too? We know he didn't, so was it that he was not a firstborn or the way I was looking at head of household. There's a lot of these things that we, we really like those details. And we, for good reason. I mean, we, I'm not criticizing this. We like to go in and find out, well, what happened here and what happened there. Um, and, and that's great. And we ought to look for it. I mean, th- that curiosity, I believe, even is healthy with regard to God's Word. Because what does that lead you to do? Is there anywhere else I can look at it and figure it out? Um, let's read some other people that know what they're doing. Let's look at some people that know the languages. Maybe there's something in the language that will help me out here. And so that extra studying that's even admonished to us in 2 Timothy, right? What, 2.15? Paul tells Timothy to study, to show himself to be an approved workman, correctly handling the word of God, that he doesn't need to be embarrassed. So all of that's good, but we can let that become a distraction. And we're not doing that here. I'm not even suggesting this. But we need to remember what's God's main point. I'm going to bring this wave of death into Egypt. I'm going to hit the firstborn because that hits at the God question a bit. Who are gods in Egypt? And Pharaoh might be the representative of these Egyptian gods, but he can't keep his son from dying. And this is all done to show the might and power of God. And the answers to some of our questions are interesting, and I think we ought to pursue them, and I want to pursue them. I want to do the best job I can in pursuing those questions ahead of time so I have an answer when I can see the question coming. Sometimes I don't see it coming. But... The, the, things, the, the main point, God is making it abundantly clear to us. I'm doing this so that both the ones who are being asked to follow me and the ones that I am punishing or bringing my destruction upon in order to get my purposes done, know I am the one true living God. So for whatever that's worth, um, I'll throw that out in front of you. Anything else? Well, I'm going to say thank you very much, and thank you for your patience, and we'll start in Chapter 12 next time.